0: Well, our first uh, reading from uh, Scripture this morning is from Isaiah chapter 50. This is a passage where we see the servant of the Lord described, pointing to Jesus himself. And we see uh, the servant of the Lord receiving and looking to the Lord his God for vindication. Um, Isaiah chapter 50, starting at verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning and morning, wakens my ear to listen like no one, like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near, who then will bring charges against me. Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let them confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. They will all wear out like a garment, and the moths will eat them up. Our New Testament reading is uh, from Luke chapter 10. And as we come to God's word, can we just pray? Lord, thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you that your word is eternal. And we do ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord, upon our minds, upon our hearts. As we hear your word, as we listen to your word preached. Lord, may you say to us this morning the words that we need to hear, the words that you want us to hear, that you direct us to hear. Comfort us, Lord, and challenge us, and send us in your way, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes the most well-known stories in the Bible are the hardest ones to understand. Sometimes the stories that we've heard many times over our lives, or maybe you're going to hear this story for the first time this morning, But the sometimes stories that we've heard many times or heard referenced many times can be difficult to understand because we kind of think we know what they mean already. And the story this morning that we're about to read is kind of like that. It's the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's a pretty well-known story. There's laws all over the world that are named after the Good Samaritan laws. And uh, if you have been in church your whole life, or if you've not been in church your whole life, maybe you've heard of the Good Samaritan. And the message that's often connected to uh, this story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is, is, is a message that, that, I, that, that I think we, that, that we need to reconsider today. We often hear the story of the Good Samaritan that it means you must be a good Samaritan. You must be kind. You must be loving. Don't be like the other people in this story who aren't kind or loving. Be kind and loving yourself, which is not entirely wrong, which is not entirely a bad thing to say or to get from the Bible. But in the context of this whole passage, the part that we're going to read this morning, I'd like us to reconsider, in a way, why Jesus tells this story, this parable of the Good Samaritan, and what it might mean for our lives. The title for today's sermon is Jesus, Savior to Lost People Everywhere. And this morning we'll be looking at to the self-sufficient. To the self-sufficient. Leading up to this parable, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 51, we see this verse where Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem. And Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to do the work of his father and we find in the gospel of Luke that from the north all the way to the south Jesus is out on his way confronting challenging inviting teaching healing showing mercy he's on his way the kingdom of God is opening up people's lives are being changed hearts are opening anew to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is unfolding as Jesus is on his way and he meets different people All of them are lost. All of them are in need of a savior. Like you and me, without Jesus, we're lost. And today he meets a specially lost person, someone who's lost in their own self-sufficiency, their own ability to justify themselves before God. And so we start with the passage, Luke chapter 10, and we're just gonna jump right into the sort of the middle of it in verse 29. And, I'll, and, I'll, and we'll give some more context. It says, but he wanted to... This is a, a teacher of the law who's in talking to Jesus. It says, but he wanted to justify himself, so, Jesus, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. While he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asks the expert in the law. And the expert in the law replied, the man who, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we look at this passage, I want us to consider three sections. I want to look at a concealed question. I want to look at a surprising parable. And I'd like us to look at an unanticipated answer. Number first in verse 29, a concealed question. Well, the expert in the law in the middle of the story asked Jesus this question, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, "'Who is my neighbor?' What's that word, but, referring to? But he wanted to justify himself. The, the, The verses just before this, we jumped into the story midstream, just to keep this a little bit more focused for this one message this morning. But that but he wanted refers to the conversation he's just had with Jesus. And it's a conversation that starts, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus has a conversation with this expert in the law, which might be today the most religious person you can possibly imagine. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a seminary professor or a Bible college professor or something like that, who's a real expert steeped in the ways of God. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, says, well, what does the law say? And and the man says, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus says, great, you have it. Perfect. Go live the perfect life just like that, Jesus says. And you'll live. So Jesus says. And the man, just before we get to this verse, is kind of a little bit heartbroken. It's a little bit too easy. Uh, He kind of gets the right answer. What must I do to uh, go to heaven? Well, I must live the perfect life. I must be sinless. And the man is beginning to realize as he interacts with Jesus that there is no possible way uh, in his own life, by his own means, by his own efforts, that he can love God fully or love his neighbor fully. And if you think of that with your own life, with your own neighbors, your own co-workers, your own spouses even, if you try to love them as yourself, truly as yourself, as much as your hands, your feet, your body, your breathing, you will find that that can only last about three to four minutes for the average person. For me, maybe two. <laughs> and the man is coming to this realization as he's talking. to So he says, but, Jesus, but, but he wanted to justify himself. Now, so the man is asking Jesus further now, going further into this conversation He's asking this question not so that he can find out how to love God more. And he's not asking this question so he can find out how to love his neighbor more. There's something concealed in this direction he's going with Jesus, but he says but but it says Luke tells us he wanted to justify himself. Now This expert in the law is well versed in a reality expressed in the Old Testament uh, scriptures that there is a fundamental need for each and every one of us to feel justified and see ourselves as justified before God. It's a fundamental need we see, in, we see in Abraham when he's talking to God in Genesis chapter 18. Is there not a, a righteous judge on the earth? We see it in Isaiah 50 here looking to be vindicated by God. And this expert in the law comes this fundamental reality that each and every one of us, part of our human condition is that we have this need within us to, 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 to know our status before our maker to know whether we're accepted, to know whether we're affirmed, to know whether we're loved, to know whether, to know where we stand before the one who has made us. And we see in the New Testament, this unbelievable truth and this incredible uh, revelation in, in the New Testament that that, that there is a need, there is a need not only for, for us to, to have a sense of where we stand before God as human beings, but it's, it's a requirement because at the end of time, at the end, when, when, when time is over, there will be a, a moment when we will stand before God. And our deeds will be seen. And it'll all come to light. How is it that we've lived? How is it that God sees us? And Jesus is drawing this man into this important reality. This man kind of gets this human need. I want to justify, I want to be justified before God. I want to be seen as acceptable before God. All of these wrong things that I've done in my life, you know, they're catching up with me. I know I can't live the perfect life. And this man is like every single one of us. That these things, these actions and decisions in our lives build up the ways that we've fallen short and broken God's law, eventually they'll like crush the human soul. But this man knows it's important, and he wants to justify himself before Jesus about loving God and loving neighbor and inheriting eternal life. And so he asks this question, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love perfectly to inherit eternal life? and the man's asking this question, who is my neighbor? It's kind of concealed because he's looking for a loophole here, this man. He knows from Leviticus that there are definitions about who is the neighbor if you're a faithful Jewish person. The ways you must live and and, and the alien that you must leave food in your fields for and the orphan and the widow. And he, he knows all of these Old Testament passages that talk about neighborly lists. Leviticus 19 and Psalm 139. But the man is not asking Jesus who is my neighbor so that he can go out with Jesus' strength and, and live the life the law calls us to. No. He's asking Jesus who is my neighbor so that he can have a list very specific defined list he can achieve he's asking about who my neighbor is so that he can make a list on his fridge these are the seven people I must really love so that I'll be seen as acceptable and right and justified before God Jesus can you just narrow down this list a little bit to something that I can do myself something I can achieve Something I can draw a line under and say, I did it. God, aren't you happy with me? And so the question's concealed. Who is my neighbor? Can you narrow it down, Lord? Can you give me a list so I can do it myself? And Jesus tells him this parable in answer. It's a kind of surprising parable. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. A parable starts, says the listener, if you're a Jewish person of the time, would be listening to this parable. Uh, it's an understandable kind of story. It starts on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's a road, a famous road that goes downhill, uh, many thousands of feet. It's about 30 kilometers long, lots of twists and turns. Uh, Jerome, later in church history, called it the way of blood. Because it was a perfect place for robbers to hide behind rocks. And if it was at sunset, the sun would be setting in a certain way so as the person coming down on the road couldn't see who was, who was there to rob them. And we, this story starts there in the way of blood coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And robbers find this man and they beat him. He must have resisted. They attack him. They strip him of his clothes. And he's lying there naked and beaten and bleeding. And we see in the second part, a priest comes down the road. And and if if you're the man lying in the ditch at the time, how wonderful, this is wonderful news because the priest in the Jewish world in that time is a very influential person, a very well established person. He's likely coming from two weeks duty in Jerusalem. Maybe he's riding something, a a donkey of some kind because he's so well established. And the priest comes upon this man who's lying in the ditch bleeding and what does he do? He looks at the man and uh, he doesn't have any clothes so he doesn't know what class he is or or where he is in society. He can't hear his voice because he's beaten so badly he can't say anything and so he doesn't hear what language he's speaking doesn't know if he's speaking Hebrew or Latin or Greek or where he fits in the strata of society in the world Uh, and this priest is is he dead is he alive if he's dead well the priest touches him he can't do his work in the temple anymore has to go into some kind of religious uh, quarantine there's all kinds of questions wrapping around in the priest's head uh, that he's maybe going through a very systematic way. For whatever reason, the priest goes the other way, goes the other side and does not touch the man in the ditch. The second person to come along is uh, the Levite. Now remember in the temple system in Jerusalem at the time, there were three classes of people in the temple system. There was the priest, there was second in sort of second rank of influence and authority was the Levite, and then the third rank of influence and authority would be a layperson helping in the temple precincts. Well, the second, first person to come along is a priest. The second person to come along is a Levite. And the Levite sees that the priest has left the man there and maybe doesn't want to go against the good decision that the priest made in leaving the man there, doesn't want to contradict someone maybe higher than him in the temple system. And so he too passes by on the other side. The priest, the Levite, and the layman, of course. If you are listening to this parable, who's the third person that should be coming? If you're a Jewish person listening to this, you know it's a well-established fact. The priest, the Levite, and then the layperson in the temple. So everyone listening to this parable is expecting the next person to come as a layperson in the temple. But what happens in verse 33? Another but... But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and saw him and took pity on him. Now, just try this morning. I know it's early. Maybe you've only had five coffees, not six or seven, but get our heads into how surprising this is for the listener to this parable. To have, they're expecting it's going to be a layperson, but to have a Samaritan stop. A Samaritan is the most outsider person you can imagine in the Jewish world. They're away from the north, far away, intermarried with other people who invaded the northern side. You can look up your church biblical history, if you're for this later on. But they are so hated by the Jews. They are so far away from the Jews, socially, religiously. They have their own temple, they have their own religious system, quasi Jewish. And it's a Samaritan that comes into the story and has mercy on this man. And I was thinking to myself, how can I bring this home here? Now, I don't know how, I, 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 you know, think of the worst. Do you guys watch the James Bond movies or not? I don't know. Um. When I was a kid, I'd, sometimes i sometimes was watching. The bad guy in James Bond was the his name was Jaws. I'm dating myself here. He had like the metal mouth. Thank you, Dave. And he and and he was and he was like a huge guy, and he would like throw bad guys. Okay, maybe it's it's if you're younger, maybe it's whoever the bag. Rami Malek's a bad guy too in James Bond. Think of that. Think of it in a James Bond movie. If again, it's something like so surprising that, that the guy the, the, the guy who's like the bad guy, for example, turns to him and says, "Ah, oh, James." How you doing? How's your heart today? How's your soul? Can we go and have a a, a teta friendship together? A teta teta. I'll give you a hug, not to squeeze the life out of you. I'll give you a hug. It's like the most surprising thing you can hear if you're listening to this story. How the saving agent breaks in unexpectedly from the outside. To show mercy, to show compassion—that's a God word in the Bible. Exodus 33, the compassion of Yahweh. Luke 15, the compassion of the Father, welcoming His son home. The Samaritan doesn't just stop; he uh, transports, he treats the man. He treats this man wounded. He, he he sees there's deep cuts on his body, he, and he gets the oil, and he gets the wine out. They must have been to disinfect and to heal, to, to bind it up, and oil and wine, the healing are healing virtues in, 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 in the Bible. He treats the man. He transports the man. He puts him on his, his donkey. He he, he, he rides right into Jericho, the place where a Samaritan would not be welcome, where a Samaritan would get, would himself maybe get beaten or rejected for walking into Jericho with a Jewish person with him who's already beaten. Did you not beat this man? We're going to get you. But he rides right into Jericho, uh, transports the man into enemy difficult territory to a place of safety, transports him himself. He treats him. He transports him. And he pays for his care, cost of his care at the end for that day, but also for any debts that the man may incur in the future. Wow, what what a compassionate response, not only oil and wine for today, mercy for today, healing for today, but also what the man may incur in the future so that he would not be indebted which in that day could easily lead to slavery and even to death. You know, when I was a teenager, I learned to play the guitar in this place near Ottawa that uh, was called Harvest House, and it was for guys who had been through a whole bunch of stuff in their lives. Addiction or drugs, alcohol, whatever it was, and they were all on the other side of that. This one guy taught me the guitar, his name was Mike, and he used to, the old, the old song, you might know this one, Give Me Oil in My Lamp, Keep It Burning, that song, it's an old one. I but then he, I'll never forget, he always had this little riff that he went on uh, that was like, I looked it up later, it's like a gospel song. Um, he would play, teach me that regular song, and he would go on this riff that was, He poured out the oil and the wine, the kind that restoreth my soul. He saw me bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road, so he poured out the oil and the wine. There's two octaves. And uh, Mike got it. (laughs) You know, Mike understood this story about the healing of God, the compassion of Jesus, what Jesus can do for any of us, all of us, when we're out on the road bleeding that's a bit of a surprising parable and jesus then brings the story to the end to the conclusion with an unanticipated answer <laughs> remember this expert in the law is looking to inherit eternal life story comes to an end jesus says to hey hey which of these three jesus says to the expert in the law which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers It's so interesting. Jesus changes the question, doesn't he? The man was looking for the littlest, who is my neighbor? Jesus changes the question and says, who was a neighbor to? Jesus makes this wider for the man, opens it up much bigger than the man ever could imagine. Uh, Jesus changes the question, it's a wideness now to the kind of life that is the perfect life, the life that uh, causes one to inherit eternal life. The, it, it's, it's much wider, it's not just living to a certain kind of list. Which of the three, well it was, who was the neighbor to him? And the expert in the law replies to Jesus... Couldn't even say the Samaritan's name. Couldn't even mention the word Samaritan. It just says, just just that guy who showed him mercy. And Jesus says to this expert, great. Just like back in verse 26, great, you got it. Go and do likewise. Let your life be a perfect reflection of the law of God. Let your life be a perfect living out of the love of Jesus Do that, says Jesus, and you will live. And the man, I think in this moment, and I hope we in this moment begin to get what Jesus is saying here. Only Jesus has lived that perfect life and will ever live that perfect life pleasing to God. The man is starting to understand that he's coming face to face with the perfect, eternal Son of God. And the man is beginning to realize, oh no, I've started a conversation with Jesus and this is, this is really challenging. What's the man beginning to realize? The man's beginning to realize that there's no way by his own efforts and by his own work and by his own merit that he can possibly go and do likewise. Likewise. And have the fullness of God's mercy. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind. And your neighbor as yourself. The man is beginning to realize the situation of sin in his life. And that Jesus is the only Savior. Well, can I leave us with two or three applications here as we kind of close off the the message. As As we think about this story in the context of our own lives and our own thinking about Christianity, Christian faith, who Jesus is, and so forth. Well, here's the first thing I want to share. Don't confuse Christian faith with moralism. That's really easy to do, to confuse Christian faith with moralism. Look, the point of the story of the Good Samaritan is not first and foremost go and be a good Samaritan if you read the whole story from beginning to end. when the man's, It's a story where the man's asking for eternal life. None of us can justify ourselves. Not one of us is good enough by our own works to stand before the holy and perfect God and be seen as innocent, acceptable, and holy in his sight. None of us can set up our own status before God. And moralism is pretty common, actually, form of Christianity. I've been ordained a long time, preaching a long time all over the place, and, and I've talked to various people. I cannot tell you the number of times when there's been this aha moment with people. I thought that God loved me because of the good things that I did. I thought Christianity was about us being nice people, kind people. It is in some ways. It's an outcome. But it's not the heart of Christianity. Christianity is very different from moralism. And the thing to understand is that each one of us are the man in the ditch. Did you know that you are the person in the ditch this morning? that you are broken and bleeding and wounded before God that we are spiritually bankrupt that we are unable to pay our own debts because of simply the power of sin in our lives Isaiah says that all of our righteous deeds Isaiah 64 are like right are like filthy filthy rags like filthy rags There's no way that any of us can live the life the law envisions, and that leads, of course, to a situation where we are in great need before God. We are are in need of a Savior. Do we know the reality of our spiritual condition? Do we know the reality of our limitations truly this morning? Do we truly know this morning the reality of our lostness? When Jesus says, go and do likewise, we cannot by ourselves. There's a famous story by, out of the diary of Nathan Cole, who was a farmer in Connecticut in the 1740s. And he writes in his diary about hearing the preaching of George Whitfield, And he says, my hearing him gave my heart a wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up. And I saw my righteousness. My own righteousness would not save me. Christianity is <laughs> not about what we've done. It's about what God has done. It's not about what we've achieved because we've done so many good things. It's about what we have received by faith through uh, by faith through Jesus Christ and His work. It's a, it's, a redemp- it's a work that's already been done by Jesus on the cross. It's, a, it's an event that's been accomplished. It's a redemption into which we are drawn and invited in our lives and welcomed in our lives. But it's not something we achieve ourselves. Now, last Sunday night, I'm going to shamelessly st- borrow um, a pastor's illustration. Last Sunday night at Blessings, uh, the guest pastor Talked about a story by David uh, by Martin Lloyd Lloyd Jones, who was a famous Dutch uh, Welsh say Dutch uh, Welsh preacher. What's the difference between understanding Christianity as received as opposed to achieved? And Martin Lloyd Jones says, imagine an old city with walls, ancient times, a people inside it. And there's news of a faraway army coming to destroy the city. The news is out amongst the people. And picture two scenarios. In the first scenario, the king of the city sends out a party to go and meet the band of whoever it is, barbarians coming for the city. And the king and the townspeople themselves get defeated and destroyed. And news filters back to the city um, hey, they've been defeated and destroyed. Get, get to work now in the city. Get the bow and arrow ready. Get the rampart. Have, every, have a person every 10 feet along the top of the walls. Make sure all of the uh, stuff that may cause fire is put away. Make sure the, the, the elderly, the vulnerable are in a safe place. Make sure that you've, you've packed all of your, uh, what are those ancient things? You throw fireballs over the walls. Go and get ready prepare. That's the first scenario. Or imagine the second scenario where the king of the city sends out the party to meet those barbarians and they defeat them and and, and that army's lost and news comes back to the city. Hey, it's it's all achieved. It's all done. We've won. Uh, There's victory. It's been accomplished. And that's the difference in many ways between moralism and Christianity. Second thing to take from this hope we can uh, this morning is is this. The love of Jesus Christ. And maybe you are just new to Jesus. Maybe you're just here for the first or second time this morning. Or maybe you're just thinking about Christian faith, Christianity, what it means. Great, wonderful. Maybe Maybe you're an ancient Christian. I don't know. What do you know about the love of Jesus? (laughs) This story teaches that the love of Jesus is a Samaritan's love. The love of Jesus Christ is a Samaritan's love. It comes from the outside, it rescues us in our lowest place, like that man was in the ditch. His love is unexpected, his love is, we're lost without it. The love of Jesus is, like the Samaritans love, a costly love. Jesus bears his, his body on the tree. Our, our sins in his body on the tree, says 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus is whipped. He is beaten. He is mocked. He is crucified. There's nails put in his hand. He's forsaken by his Father. Oh, the cost of the love of Jesus for you and for me. It's a love that comes out of a place of weakness. He's despised, Jesus. He's he's hated. He's rejected by those around us. Jesus, he's a Samaritan savior. He's one who he finds us on on the road of our lives. He, He finds us bruised and broken and full of sin. And he shows mercy and compassion upon us, drawing us and offering us the oil and wine of His salvation. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse eight and nine, says, um, "For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though rich yet for our sake became poor, so that through His poverty we might become rich." That's the love of Jesus the saving, healing, Samaritan love. So where are you this morning in a story like this one? Are you confused with what this Christianity thing is about? Have you heard of grace? Do we understand grace? Where are we in our moments? Is there a sense that deep down, just think about this for a minute, Is there a sense that deep down you still really think that the God of the universe only loves you and only accepts you and only has a heart for you because you've done something good or because of how good a person you are? The God of the universe, the savior of all the world, loves you and shows grace to you because Jesus died for you, because of the work of Jesus for you. This is not, not our work. It's not our work to come to God. God has come to us in Jesus Christ. And, and, and the good things that we do must not be confused with our salvation. The good things that we do are, they're, 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 they're an outcome, aren't they? They're an outcome of our salvation ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 says i pray that you may be able to grasp how high and long and wide and deep is the love of christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge the way of the samaritan is not the way to life The way to life is Jesus, the way of the Samaritan can be, once you've met Jesus, it can be a way of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word um, this morning, and this is your word in our lives. I pray that it may accomplish that which you purpose and wish for it to accomplish this morning here. Thank you that everything has been done for our salvation through Jesus Christ. And I pray that we may, all of us, afresh and anew, know the Samaritan love of Jesus, its depth, its width, its strength, for for our lives tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and Wednesday and Friday in the middle of the day saturday night late transform us lord we we run to you we run into your arms we wish to know your grace afresh in jesus name amen